All right, how many of us here are Bible experts? Raise your hand. I am. Oh, you got to, oh, no. Okay, I'm a little disappointed. Anyway, regardless, um, I'm a no Bible expert. However, we have these items that are upstairs. Those of us who've been, um, may be familiar with them, especially those of us who teach upstairs, the kids. Um, uh, if you, as, as an opportunity that each of you have, especially fathers spending time with your children and spouse, um, you don't need to be a Bible expert to pick up one of these. It is a five-day-a-week uh, program, essentially, that breaks down a section of what your kids are studying in the classroom and it reinforces it about five to 12 verses at a time. And uh, it's, it's actually well-written um, and, and in a way that you can um, comprehend it yourself and present it to the kids and it has discussion involved as well. So highly recommend it, uh, especially as an opportunity to uh, mentor your, your children and bring them up in the Word. Uh, make this a habit, a routine. Make the Bible common. Uh, discuss, you know, an open relationship with your children uh, being uh, something that is common. That's, you know, not like, uh, at, I think I spent a lot of time uh, being a disciplinarian as opposed to necessarily showing uh, God's grace and, and love on the kids. And uh, so uh, there's a healthy healthy balance there. This is definitely an awesome opportunity. Um, I have, uh, I hope that uh, you all can, are able to take the opportunity to do this and spend the time with your children in this way. And uh, thank you. Thanks, Greg. Awesome opportunity to fulfill Deuteronomy 6, um, to train your child up in the way you go. Not, that's, that's Proverbs 22, 6, sorry, um, to teach this to your children um, on the, um, when you're walking down the path, when they're waking up, when they're lying down. This is the way you do it from Monday through Saturday, not just on a Sunday. Check in the box. So um, please text any and all questions, not just, not just the questions from this session, but anything that's left, um, you can feel free to text those questions to me. I haven't gotten any so far since this last session. So maybe you guys, we gave you all the answers and you don't have any more questions, but I do have a, I do have a few from last, I do have a few from last um, session that we can start off with. So feel free in the midst of this to do that. Um, does anybody else have any cards that you got? No? Up here? Oh, okay. Cool. All right. So here's the first one. How do I help my kids to have a real relationship with Christ, not just to believe because that's what our family believes. Next question. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, what comes to mind is uh, just keep calling them to Christ. Um, if they profess faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, whether they're 6 or 16, um, just keep calling them to Christ. Keep, um, um, uh, uh, I just think of, uh, of, again, Matthew 28, 18 through, through 20, that um, to teach them to obey all that I've commanded. 
And when they're not able to obey, um, um, tell them that to uh, just to um, trust in Jesus and just keep, keep just keep uh, reminding them of their inability to live their life on their own and that they need a savior. And uh, and I, I think the biggest thing is that we can't save them. Um, so be really careful of giving your kids assurance that they're the Lord's. That's that's really not your job. Um, just keep pointing them to Christ. The thing I would encourage you, and I said it in one of the presentations, I don't remember which one it was, but continue to revisit the issue of their salvation and their ability to comprehend and understand the significance of their own sin. We don't need Jesus if we don't see ourselves as sinners. And so just continue to revisit that with them and make sure they understand well and that they're beginning to live out the truths of the gospel through confession, through rejoicing in Jesus, and, and look for those evidences and, and um, uh, faith issues growing in their lives and press into them, uh, especially in the early years, to make sure that uh, the gospel really takes root. You know, the, the parable of the, of the sower seeds, we don't want our, the gospel to fall on rocky soil in their lives, but we want it to take root and give a hundredfold. I was just going to say, too, um, just keep reminding them, I think, of the relationship that it is. You know, that, that it is a relationship. It's a walk of relationship. They need to get to know who God is. They need to hear his voice by reading the word, and they need to talk to him, and they need to um, learn how, who he is and how to trust him. And, and, of course, you know, as they watch you doing that same thing, valuing it as a relationship and involving yourself in a relationship with God, I think that also catches them. And I think we always need to remember that it's the spirit that draws them and convicts them. Um, <clears throat> don't apply so much pressure or uh, do so much intensive teaching with the aim of convincing them that they need to trust Christ. That's the work of the spirit. You sow the seeds. And pray for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, yeah, I was thinking, um, I was thinking as Pat was speaking that, that um, our kids will rarely exceed our excitement for God. Like if, if our kids never see us excited um, as we read the word and seeing God in his word, um, why would we expect them to be excited about a God we're not excited about. So that's just one thought. Um, here's one from last session. How do you give your child, who is a young teen, adequate freedom and responsibility, i.e. walking to businesses or parks with friends, etc., without feeling fearful of worldly things such as sex trafficking, abduction, and not wanting to be naive? How do you give your child that freedom without the parent being afraid of the, the, all those things? Sex trafficking, abduction, not wanting to be naive, fearful of worldly things. I was just going to say, um, first thing is um, um, you can't stop feeling fearful. Um, feeling fearful. Uh, it's just this is, um, I don't know if everyone on the panel agrees we can have a debate up here but I, a feeling is not wrong it's it's acting in that fear that's wrong um, fear is not the opposite of faith 
Um, um, fear is just an emotion. God gave us fear. Um, sometimes there's good fear, that you, things that you need to be afraid of. Um, I would say you can't stop feeling fearful, but you can stop acting in fear and start acting in faith that God um, wants to love and protect your kid more than you do. Um, so obviously there's wisdom in that, but um, you don't want to just throw them in a dark alley somewhere. <laughs> but uh, um, it's, there's your right to fear that alley, maybe, because there's things lurking around. Maybe don't put them there, because it's a good, healthy fear. Act in that fear. But there's also unhealthy fears, because um, walking out the door, um, you never know what's going to happen, so you can't keep it in a box. That's my, that's my thought. Well, what's this? I wasn't. You have to uh, have to know the kid, know the environment. But I was thinking about one time when our daughter was a junior, and she, they were going to go check out a college with some of her girlfriends in in the mountains. Yeah, in Over a big in March. In a rickety car. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so. But, and Dan said, well, next year they're going to be doing, they could do this without asking. And so we let him go. And it was hard. It was hard, you know, to send these, you know, young ladies to the mountains. And so I prayed a lot. We prayed a lot. (laughs) I think you need to couple uh, the fact that your child's going to go walk somewhere. I think you need to couple the decision with wisdom. Where? Are they going to go? What are the odds that they're going to encounter danger? Uh, I think we can't just put them out the door into the dark alley. I think we need to be wise, but we need to give them increasing freedom in where they're able to walk and go by themselves and learn to make wise decisions on when to turn around and come home or whatever needs to be done. And, and we need to train them. Um, you don't give a kid a computer or an iPhone without um, training him, telling him what the, um, the benefits are and the dangers are. Same with the car when our daughter took off on that drive. I mean, you know, I walked her through the map. I uh, told her where the spare tire was. I told her to drink lots of candy and eat orange slices and, um, and uh, sunflower seeds, ranch. And uh, just stay alert. Um, but we, I mean, honestly, when she went, I mean, we were, we were anxious. We were fearful. We, I couldn't sleep that night. I prayed. Um, I knew that she was um, well prepared. I knew that um, at the end of the day, even in her preparedness, uh, a semi-truck could have taken her out. And so this is just a great verse here in Ephesians 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonable be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we want to find that peace in controlling our kids and not letting them experience potential hardship. We need to prepare them. It looks different for each kid. It looks different at every age. Prepare them and release them. And when you do that, trust me. It's going to be scary. You already know that at different ages, right? And then just, and then just, just trust the Lord because he's, at the end of the day, uh, we've got the false illusion that we can protect and control our kids anyways. So, so prepare them and send them out. Anybody else? The panel? Cool. Um, 
What's a good way to address modesty, address modesty in clothing without making them feel self-conscious of how they look? I was always I'm not more, taking it. I was always more concerned about modesty um, of my daughter than maybe Nancy was. She was concerned, but I just know the way guys think. And I would train my daughter up, and you know what, honey? Um, you uh, dress that way, and she dressed modestly. But, you know, when you get to a certain age, a teenager, you're, you're pushing that line a little bit. And I would just let her know that even though she might look cool and it might be, you know, she's innocent, but guys are seeing her in a different way. So, um, so I would send her out. I'd, I'd have her get back into the clothes that we dressed her in, which was a head covering and a long dress <laughs> and a turtleneck, and then go, you go, just go, be po- go be popular. Uh, I mentioned the Proverbs, and uh, Proverb 1 talks about uh, trusting your parents' instruction, and then it jumps, verse 3, into the dangers of this world. And teach, train, guide your children into into understanding that there's danger lurking out there. You, you don't want to create paranoia in their lives, but you do want to create a godly wisdom in their lives to not take stupid chances, not go places that aren't appropriate, and, and to understand there's a world out there that wants to destroy them, an enemy that wants to you know, really uh, do them harm. And, and the word will lead you to that throughout Proverbs. And I personally believe this is the uh, ministry that fathers need to have with to their daughters. If mother can tell their daughter you're dressed immodestly, it doesn't have much impact. But if a father calls to her attention the way the young boys around her are thinking and help her understand the mind of a young man, that has far more impact, I think. I think, too, and I don't know how this all fits in, but our kids, we had um, just the blessing of having some young people live with us that were very um, influential in our kids. Our, when, at one point, our youth leader, he lived with us, and when, before he got married, his wife lived with us on her own. And so just having those influences to support us was, was invaluable. And so I would just encourage that with your kids that I think sometimes they just need somebody that's a little further along than they, you know, than they are, but it's just a different voice than mom and dad. I think this one is super hard, frankly, um, and, and I think it's one I struggle with a lot, and I keep asking people, that's why I didn't want to really have the microphone, <laughs> but um, I do think just just one thing to remember, I know I know one of the things with Esther has, has been she doesn't, to sort of underscore what you guys have said, Esther, it goes, but this is cute. You know, it's just cute. This is what all the other girls are wearing. And, and so I think that not understanding how, other, how guys um, interpret it is a really big deal. And the only other thing I think that maybe still the the jury is still out so this could be bad advice um but one of the things i think may has make an has made an impact on her is when we always sort of point her back to what's your purpose you know your purpose in what you're doing whether it's we just had a conversation about playing soccer you know what's your purpose on the soccer field is it to be a star or is it to be doing what god wants you to do on the soccer field and so 
the only um, the only other thing I would say is is we're trying to return her all the time to think about what her purpose is. Is her purpose to make herself look good, or is she, um, you know, does she have a higher purpose in life? Proverbs thirty one: Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Just continuing to show her that her beauty is from within. Um, here's a question: How do you make family? slash church a priority in the crazy of extracurricular activities like soccer um, and if you had to say no to something how do you deal with parent guilt uh, one thing we did we uh, came to faith after our two youngest two oldest children were already born so we, we had the transition uh, what yeah, I mean, they were like five, six in there. and We began going to church after they already had the discipline or, or the, the preference of staying at home. And so every Sunday morning was a battle, and every Sunday morning was filled with excuses. And finally, I just, I just got so convicted. I said, this is, this is where we're at as a family. We are going to church unless there is a significant reason not to go like you're dead or you're sick or whatever. So, so one thing is we, we just took the excuses off the table and said this is just a priority for our family and it really solves some of those issues of trying to decide sunny morning are we going to go or are we not going to go. It drove me nuts. Uh, another thing that I think is important uh, is, uh, and it just slipped my mind, it's really important. Uh, go ahead, you, you talk and I'll finish. Um, as far as parental guilt, uh, if you genuinely know you're doing the right thing for your child to grow up in a godly way, you won't feel real guilt about not having them at every game. Um, our girls, we, we met on horseback, and so horses were a, a large part of our lives, and we contemplated um, horse shows, and one of our daughters was into jumping, but as soon as we realized that all of those shows were on Sunday, she no longer participated in any jumping competition. And that was hard for her. But she still enjoyed the horse. She still enjoyed jumping. She still enjoyed spending time with the neighbor who encouraged her in that. So competition or being a part of a game doesn't have to be the whole reason for someone participating in a sport. So we didn't especially feel guilty about that. We just knew that it was the right thing for her to do. And we tried to guide them in to pick out something you really want to do, one thing at a time. Yeah. Uh, we never had kids in three sports at, at simultaneously because they can't do three sports at, uh, simultaneously. So we tried to get them to focus in on something they, they wanted to do and encourage them and support them in that, pay the toll, whatever it was, if it was gymnastics or soccer gear or whatever but one thing at a time, and it really did solve some of the issues of multi-issues uh, multi with your kids and being overcommitted, overwhelmed. One, one thing that was hard, I remember so many sport, sporting things happen on Sunday. We, all our kids played competitive soccer and there'd be games and 
So a lot of what we would do is carpool with other people, and we really wanted to be at our kids' games, but, and I remember just being so ticked off at the world that there's games on Sunday, but Dan would say, you know, they're part of a team, you can't just, like, what does that say to the team as well, if you're, you know, if you're not gonna be part of the team for the game. So we did try to um, carpool, we'd head, send them with somebody, then we'd head down later, and so. Well, for what it's worth, um, I, I feel like we're living in a culture that is consumed with more is better. And it and I don't know, I feel that pressure, like, you know, how come they're not doing this? Oh, you're not going to do that? Why? What, oh, really? They're not going to do that. And there, I mean, you do feel some pressure. And so I just think it's becoming harder and harder because there's so many opportunities for them in all across the board um, to be intentional. And I think um, what you guys have said is... is has a whole lot of merit because I think we must um, must be intentional. Plan it out, figure it out ahead of time, figure it out as early as you can what you're going to say yes to um, and what you're going to say no to because I think that's the only way to avoid the guilt um, is if you know that you have reasons for doing what you're doing and you're not just doing it because every other mommy in kindergarten is doing it. So it's hard. There you go. Lori and I like to say this all the time. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, there's a lot of things we can do, and there's so many things more and more it just doesn't mean we should. Um, here's another question. Um, in regards to essentialism, what is, is that something you talked about? Yeah, I missed it. it. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was at the end of the fear thing about just living simple life. Okay. In regards to essentialism and freeing up time to shepherd kids, can you share what family of devotions and guiding uh, spiritually looked like in your home? Was it organic or was it a structured and planned time? Et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's what it looked like in our home. Careful. Huh? <laughs> well, first of all, I remember when we first started doing devotions, we were with a, a family that they were like, hey, do you want to do devotions with our family? And we said, yes. And they just opened up a book. Who was it? It was the... Um, James, the James family. Okay, good. All right. So, yeah, you remember that. So then we just bought the same book. It was just like they just discipled us by showing us what they were doing. So we just copied that, and we did that. And then we, after that, it kind of gave us courage. And then for the most part, what it looked like was we'd all sit down in the family room. And Dan had opened up the Word. And the boys and I would fall asleep, and Natalie and Dan would sit. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy, Nancy, just, you just gotta like, help me like out. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, you just, you know, you're going, going, going all day, and then you're down on the couch, and then it's just like. I'd get so frustrated. Her and the boys would be sleeping. Are you kidding me, honey? Could you lead by example, please? I mean, just like act like you're paying attention. Just sit up. Yeah. Same thing when you're in that front row over there too. It's like I gotta look at you. You're falling asleep. The, uh, but for uh, family devotions were really hard for me. Um, I'm, I'm a, a very scheduled guy, and, um, and so I, I just wanted to have the devotions before bedtime, and, um, and I didn't know what to do. I was a new believer. I wasn't really um, raised in the church, and I remember going to Bible Superstore. Anybody remember Bible Superstore over there? And I would just walk in there and just, like, wander aimlessly up and down the aisles looking for something to take my kids through. Like, what do I do? 
And, um, and we would just find book after book. And then, you know, I didn't have the confidence, actually, just to open up God's Word and just to read it to Him. And if I had to do it over, actually, that's what I would do. I would just open up God's Word, and I would just read it and just ask them to respond to it and pray. Um, so, yeah, I just, it's, for us, it was just very, very scheduled, even with our kids on dates. Like, um, I think somebody did it organically on this panel. Like, for me, man, I was scheduling dates with each of my kids probably every two weeks just because I, I just didn't, uh, uh, I, I just wanted to spend time with them, and I didn't know how to do it organically. So, that's me. Good? Yeah. Well, can I say one other thing, Chris? One other, I don't know if it, it relates or not. I think it does. Is... Um, I kind of bristle when I hear people say that you should read, you should read the word, you should pray, so your kids can observe you doing that and they can catch those habits. That, that should never be your motivation, actually. Never be your motivation. Um, it's, it, for me, it's, it feels um, guilt-ridden that you know, your, your kids are watching you. Well, of course they're watching you. That shouldn't be motivation to change anything, actually. Um, we should, um, any, our devotional life, our prayer life, um, our, our worship, the way we live, the way we give, the way we serve should be that way because he is worthy of all that because he's given us everything. And then our kids are going to just benefit from that. But if you start doing these things just for the benefit of your kids, they're going to see right through that. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. I love what Deuteronomy 6 says about, uh impressing on your children as you're walking, as you're sitting down, as you're getting up. And uh, the picture there in my mind is that as we do life together, and I, I know that was more of an agricultural thing, setting, where you didn't go to work, your kids were with you, they were out herding the sheep with you or whatever. So they were with you, but you had opportunity to always point out to them uh, creation, the majesty of God, when the sunrise comes or the sunset comes or just the, the, the beauty of a newborn uh, lamb or just just the wonder of all of God's creation. I think if we can capture that day in and day out to just impress on them the glory of God. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying don't have devotions one night a week or but but I think I think what will be more genuine and, and will stick with them longer is impressing on them day in and day out as we have opportunities, especially as dads, to to show them. I, I love just Thinking about building something and showing a child the grain in wood, it's all different. How could it possibly be all different? All the different flowers, all the different birds. Uh, how does that happen? And, and just get them to think about that because it's right in their face. And, and show them that. Impress those things on them, just the glory and the wonder of our creative God and, and how he wants to bless us and enrich our lives and, and help us to know him through what he's made. Uh, so just, just some thoughts and, uh, yeah. Those are just what we called teachable moments, and we captured them whenever and wherever we could. We, uh, we went with our oldest daughter, took her to uh, a road trip to Alaska. And if you've ever driven to Alaska, that is the preeminent road trip. Uh, we drove 6,700 miles. Uh, and we floated back about 3,000 of that. But just to give you a perspective, that's driving from Bellingham, Washington to Miami and back just to go to Alaska, but, but we're driving there. The truck had trouble. We had to stop, get it fixed, and we're driving in the middle of the night, and we saw the aurora lights, northern lights, stopped the vehicle, got out, and just, just worshiped God. 
at the, I mean, how do you explain this stuff? And it's so beautiful and so awesome. And just, to, and, and the animals, the, the, I mean, if there's a reason to go to Alaska, it's to go show them the glory of God. All the animals, all the beauty. All, uh, yeah, I'll show you. You could have flown. It would have been quicker. Why, why did you drive? <laughs> I don't believe the, the law of, of aerodynamics. No. <laughs> So for us, um, so here you go, here's confession. So I'm not an organized, structured guy, um, and um, felt guilty for many years for not having a structured time with my family, um, you know, whether it be a dinner table or every night or opening the word. I just felt like, and that's what I had to do, right, because I read a book somewhere that said I had to do that, uh, or I heard a seminar or... Um, and it occurred to me just a few years ago um, in this, um, that the people who are writing books and the people who are um, giving seminars and, and giving lecture series are type A type people who are structured and organized. Um, and the people like me aren't writing books, so I'm not hearing from other uh, believers like me writing books to tell, how, how do you do that? And so um, I felt freedom in that, actually. Um, and I know there's sin in that, too. Like, well, cool, I don't have to be as, be as uh, disciplined in my family now. Um, but no, I just, I feel like there's... Every father in here is different, um, personality-wise. Some of you are structured, and some of you are really organized, and that's how maybe family devotions is going to look for your family, and that's how you should do it. Go for it, because that's how God wired you. Some of you are more, a little bit more like me, where um, I really resonate with Pat, what Pat said. Like, I was just horrible at the structured thing, but really, like, um, every time a kid struggled with something in school that day, we would talk about that thing their heart in that thing, why they did that thing, um, what, you know, we, we in, try to intersect scripture with what, they, what happened that day in their life. Um, didn't do it perfectly. We missed some things, I'm sure. But we still try to do that. If Esther's struggling with something at school, Josiah's struggling with something, whatever, that's, that's when we talk about that thing at the dinner table and what does God have to say about it. So that's, it was a little more organic for us. Um, and um, so I, I, want, I want to unburden all the men in this room who feel like they have to be a type A structured, you have to do it every single day. You don't have to. Um, however, that does not give you an excuse to be lax and lazy and, and not purposeful. Um, so maybe it's on the way. I mean, and on the way, like, you know, when you see, like, the, the northern lights, you must stop right there and instruct your kids right there. If you don't do that, um, you're missing out, and maybe that, maybe that is sinful. I don't know. So... Um, I want to free you up from having to be something a book said you had to be. Um, there's different ways you can disciple your kids um, depending on how God made you. Did you want to say something? I would say it's both and, actually. Um, yeah, both and. We can all probably be a little bit more structured and, and guys like me can be a little more organic. Here's something for the ladies. Uh, oftentimes the ladies are more structured than the guys. And I've heard stories, we've known ladies have actually set devotional books on the nightstand for their husbands as a way of uh, getting their attention. Um, if, you're, if your husband is wired more like Chris, get, don't, don't try to fit him into a mold that he's not, all right? I mean, by giving him these books you know, that some man, man wrote to have him be who he is. But, but yeah, just um, uh, ladies, just help your men um, be who God made them to be and to shepherd your kids in the way that the Lord wants them to. This is purely anecdotal. Um, 
you know, one of our great failures as parents is that we were terribly inconsistent. We'd have these great ideas, and we start out, and we do it for two weeks, and then it all fall apart. And um, and so we were having family devo- devotions one time. We we're going to go through Luke. I remember we we're going to go through Luke, and uh, and so we were reading through it, and we. It, Gosh, was it Luke? Anyway, the story of Zechariah when, um, you know, he talked to the angel and the angel said, you know, you're not going to be able to speak anymore. And, um, and so we're at the dinner table and, and Chris got to the part that said, Zechariah, you know, got to be where John was born. Zechariah, what do you want to name your son? And Zach goes, cow. <laughs> cow. There you go. Um, how do you remember that? It's funny. Um, there you go. Um, let's see. I got a couple more. How much time do we have? Keep them coming. Um, here we go. Talk about when and how you have your children increasing amounts of financial independence. One thing we did, and this was so much fun. Um, I think we did with our two older kids, I think about the time they hit like 12-ish preteens, and we set up a budget for them. We just worked through this with them and said, okay, how much money do you need for uh, entertainment, for clothes? Uh, you know, just set up a little budget for them, and then we gave them that amount of money every month. And it was so fun to watch what they did with it. Uh, and we, we kept warning, you have to buy winter clothes, so you need to save some up. And guess winter came? No coats. But, I mean, the lessons they learn through that. So I would encourage you to do that with your kids. Help them understand the value of money. And I think it's appropriate to let them earn part of that. But, but they need, and let them run out. Let them suffer when they spend incorrectly. Uh, and unfortunately, their grandmother bailed them out. But I would have made them go to school a few times cold. But just the reality of money's real. Uh, it's hard to get and use it well. So I just that's one thought, one thing we did for whatever it's worth. That was so fun. <laughs> we did the um, really simple, but a giving bank, and it was, um, or a savings bank, where we would taught them from an early age to uh, set money aside, um, uh, first fruits to the Lord, set money aside for long-term savings, things like college, a car, stuff like that. And then also have some money available for, um, for them to do things they enjoy, going out to movie with friends and that type of thing. And um, when I sent that uh, note out to my kids before the, the sermon I did, asking them what we did well and what we did wrong, that was one thing that all three kids mentioned that, that I, I wish it was something like, Dad, we love Jesus because of you. But it's like we just really feel like we're good, um, we're good givers and we're good savers and we're, and we're just good with our money as a result of that training. Another thing we did in the financial area is, is we did an extensive tra- training with our kids about the dangers of credit cards. Uh, credit cards can bury you in debt because uh, it comes so easy. And so uh, I praise God that our kids got, most of our kids got that lesson. Uh, but just to not allow credit to, to rack up or debt to rack up on your credit card, uh, so easy to do. So teach them uh, about that. And part of that's teaching delayed gratification. Um, And like Dan said, uh, setting aside money for savings. And if they've got something they want, then help help them remember they're saving toward acquiring that thing. And oftentimes, by the time they had gathered the money, they didn't want it anymore, which was really a good thing. 
and, and as we would go shop, they would find something they wanted, and I'd say, well, let's sleep on that, or let's see if you've got the money. But um, a lot of lessons can be learned along with learning how to handle your money and be a good steward. No comment. This is an area we're not good at. Um, I think the only thing, that, by God's grace, maybe we could say here is, um, yeah, we're not super good at teaching our kids, honestly, um, how to do all that, do what these guys said, which, you know, um, yeah, we screwed up. There we go. But um, I think one thing we did is, um, and this is me, like this is, I err on this side. This is just a confession. I err on the side of money. I don't really, I, I don't like it. Um, I think it just messes me up, and uh, and I, I, you know, it's good to have, and I like it, but I don't. I just have a. I think I've. I think we've imparted a maybe a non-materialistic kind of view of of money. That's the only thing I could say about that. Everything else I've messed up. So you don't don't have to get my advice there. Um, so there you go. Um, last one that we have, and if you have any other questions, we might take a, a raised hand or whatever. But we could be done after this, um, unless there's further questions. Um, can you discuss how we are to interact and what the scripture says about how to love and interact with other believers who hold, who hold different convictions passionately, like school choice, vaccines, how to not be divisive, etc.? Uh, early on, when uh, we, we were in ministry, when the homeschooling uh, wave hit America, and the, the one thing I want to caution you again, and this is just one lesson in this area, is uh, when people get passionate about something like that where we have immense freedom of choice, and we do in the schooling issues, do not become elitist about your choice. And it, even, even your zealousness and your, your excitement about it can speak elitism to other believers, like they're second rate because they're not doing what you're doing. And just guard against that uh, and, and just... You know, uh, be glad and thankful for the way God has led you to whatever choice you have, but but wear it in humility and grace because others may not agree with you. Uh, uh, so just just one thought, just from life experience in that area. I'll go ahead. Um, yeah, wow, it's a ticking time bomb. I mean, we, we're all, um, we all have convictions in those areas, and, and you should have convictions in those areas. But it's when, um, when we're with others that believe differently, and we are in conversation with them, and we are seeking more to be understood than we are to understand, that's a problem. Um, it's just a great principle in every relationship, particularly those that might have different convictions, that you should seek to understand, not be, seek to be understood. Because um, who knows, maybe you've got it wrong, actually, and the other people have it right. Um, there's one other point I wanted to make on that. Um, yeah, just uh, find oftentimes that, that birds of a feather flock together, that homeschool parents stay together, Christian school parents stay together, um, non-immunization people stay together. Um, that's, that's the beginnings of a cult, actually. Um, it really is. It's the beginnings of a cult. Um, not that you can't have friends that agree with you on the convictions, but you should have friends, actually, who disagree with you, and that you can love them in spite of their disagreement with you. So just a, just a thought. 
One of my favorite uh, C.H. Spurgeon quotes is as follows. Isn't it interesting how much we think of what God says to us and how little we think of what God says to others? We live in a world where uh, our own pride, our own arrogance can really make a big deal about what we believe God's led us to do. Live that with humility and, and rejoice that God speaks to others as well. And this is true, this is true in so many areas of life. Uh, yeah, respect and, and um, just appreciate the fact that God speaks to all of us sometimes very differently. Get one more thought. When I was a stockbroker in 2005, um, I was there for 20 years, and all I read was books about um, people that were bullish, that thought the stock market would continue to go up. Because that's how I made my living. That's what I believe. I was pretty, I'm a pretty, pretty positive guy. And I, started, I decided to start reading books on men and women that wrote the books that believed that the market was going to crash. Um, I had a balanced diet. So if you, uh, for example, are a homeschool parent, praise God for you guys, and all you're reading is books and articles written by homeschool parents, um, you may never see the other side. And if you, uh, the same thing, I mean, like, my, uh, we got some cholesterol issues in our family. If we're only reading books about people that uh, talk about the advantages of taking um, statins to reduce cholesterol, we're not reading books on maybe uh, other ways to reduce cholesterol, we're, we're going to naturally go down the path that we're, because everybody's an expert out there, right? So um, read articles and books, good articles and books, with people that disagree with your current stance. Um, that's all the questions I have. Anybody have? Anybody else have any questions? You can raise your hand. Or you can text it anonymously, anonymously to me, unless I already have your number. <laughs> I got a few. I didn't, I didn't call out who that were. Um, any other questions at all? Anything about anything? Because we are the experts. I had a question for you, Pat. Can I ask a question? Can a panel person ask a question? Um, so how do you know, you use the word age-appropriate uh, age appropriate way to show your weakness, an age-appropriate way to, to do, you said that a lot. Um, what are the criteria? How do you determine when, when you can show this certain weakness? Like if your child has this certain you know, struggle with this thing that you had, but you don't want to give that kid license um, to share your struggle, but you want to encourage them that they're not alone. So how, how do you, what's the criteria for the age appropriateness? Yeah. I think part of it is, is to know your kids. We've talked often about understanding your kid, understand uh, your child's understanding of life and of uh, if it's sexuality or, or whatever area it may be. You need to understand what they understand before you, you raise it. And when I said age appropriate, what, what I was talking about is, is we don't want to describe our lustful thoughts when we're talking to kids about how difficult sometimes it is to, to think in ways that please God. I think there's ways to say that and talk about it in generalities that kids might understand. I, I, my mind wanders. I think about things I probably shouldn't without naming a, a specific sin that they wouldn't be aware of or, um, you know, uh, even... Um, thinking uh, as a sin. So, so I, I think it's just knowing them, kind of knowing um, 
kind of the culture they're in, uh, you know, your, your family, your other kids, how they're interacting. I mean, our five-year-old five daughter, because we had two older, she had two older sisters, knew the word orthodontist when she was five. And she could say that word, or four maybe, or maybe it was three, I don't know. But it was really young, and, and she's saying this word, and I'm going, wow. But, you know, if there's older siblings, your, your kids are going to know more earlier. So just the, the culture, the environment of your family, your life. And, and we'll, uh, be transparent. I, I don't think you have to name the sin specifically to talk about our struggles in various ways. Uh, just the things I think about I struggle with, or sometimes I struggle with my, my anger. I mean, they understand what anger is. They see it. So I think those are things they can identify with. The issues helping them relate to uh, your journey in life, the testimony that you have with the living God and how he's changed you and transformed you, and, and rejoice and celebrate those things uh, alongside your kids. I think I don't know that I've helped much, but maybe it's... That's where I'd start anyway. And again, uh, let me let me say this. Um, in some ways, I made a joke about wishing uh, we had kids again. But I, I wished I could go back and parent my kids, knowing what I know today. Because in so many ways, uh, we weren't able. We just didn't know. We didn't understand uh, the the power that we have as parents to help our kids see in our lives and, and also through the word the wonderful thing that we have uh, in our faith, in, in the Lord Jesus, and the law. The law is so good in showing us how desperately we need Jesus. And uh, we just, we weren't there when we had our kids growing up uh, to the level that, like I said, I, I do today. So I have a regret that, that we maybe, not maybe, we did not parent our children as well as we could have. But, but I also, uh, I continue to, to go back to what Chris said. Grace, God's grace trumpets our failures as parents every time. And we just have to trust that and, and live in that reality. We were pagans the first 10 years of parenting and uh, parented for all of the wrong reasons, did all of the wrong things that you heard today you shouldn't do, or just contrary to the things that you should do. Um, yet God has been so gracious to our children. And as we've grown to understand Christ and the cross and forgiveness, we've gone to each of our children and discussed those things that were so hurtful for them as children. And we took the questions, same ones Dan asked his family, and we, uh, we approached our kids. And we were so blessed because they said, you know, Mom and Dad, we've already talked about all those things. They're done. They're gone. They're behind us. They're covered with the blood. Why bring them up again? And it was just so sweet to hear how gracious God has been. That's awesome. Last call. And then Dan has a story. Um, I'm going to say, actually, is there any last word, like any last bit of encouragement you might have, we might have, um, maybe just like a couple sentences, whatever, for anybody here, anybody? I would just say, you're going to fail. We've all failed, and God uses failure a lot of times more effectively than success.
God bless you for being here, uh, enduring the marathon. May God bless you and encourage your heart, strengthen your uh, lives and roles as parents through this time. I would just say, um, echo what Lori said, you're going to make mistakes. We made as many mistakes when we were believers, actually, than when we were before we were believers. And um, relax. Don't take yourself so seriously. Enjoy your kids, as Jolene just said. Um, God loves your kids infinitely more than you love your kids. And to say it another way, as I said in that first sermon, is that it, what we have found at the end, grace wins out. Grace wins out every time. Amen. Good. I mean, I have too many things to say. I can't limit it to two sentences. Maybe I'll just say one thing. Um, you have everything you need. You have God's word. You have the Holy Spirit. Um, and you have older saints in this body. Um, go to those things a uh, hundred times more to every one time you go to Google. Um, or uh, listening, listening to just the popular thing out there um, um, because uh, the, the, all that wisdom out there can produce fear, but God in his spirit has providentially put you in this body with older saints. Go to them. Um, trust the spirit. Trust his word. And that's it. Well, I've got a story that Pat wanted me to read that's uh, a great story about, about being missionary parents. Um, and I want to just... Um, just say one thing that Chris prompted me on is that, um, and, and please, nobody come up to me after this and ask me a question, but I don't remember a time in, re in recent memory where a younger family has come up and asked Nancy and I, hey, what do you think about this? And I bet you these couples could say the same thing. Um, we're, we're quick to go to books and articles and experts that are telling us what to do without actually acknowledging their own struggles. So just know that you've got great resources, not just up here, but with some of the older saints in the body. You think of the, the Hummels and the Coopers and Carol Simmons, and there's just so much great wisdom. Braddies, Schuetz, Cuppingers. Man, if I, was a young, if I was a young parent, I'd be at their doorstep every day. Every day. So let me, uh, let me read this. It's, it'll take about uh, 35 minutes, and then we'll be out of here. Uh, no, it's not that long. Parenting is difficult under the best of circumstances. To raise children in the discipline and, in, and instruction of the Lord is the calling and desire of every Christian who is entrusted with little ones. Often the task can seem overwhelming. Even seeking counsel from the many helpful resources available to Christian parents today can be daunting and leave moms and dads feeling inadequate and uncertain about how best to shepherd their children into adulthood. <clears throat> Can I stand up? Sorry. Um, in and through all of the biblical principles and wise strategies that parents can and should employ, there is one overarching responsibility and opportunity that can easily be overlooked and not given its proper place of importance. And I would summarize that preeminent parental duty this way. Be a real Christian and act like it. That seems a little legalistic to me. There's probably a better way of saying that. But love Jesus um, in front of your kids. Actually, that is the counsel I give repeatedly to believers, no matter what the challenge or responsibility being faced. A serious heeding of the call to follow Christ must undergird everything else a believer does. 
What this means for Christian moms and dads is that before they are parents, they are what? Disciples of Jesus. Parents who are more devoted to Jesus Christ than to their kids leave a powerful imprint to their children. Imprint to their children. Such a parent leaves a spiritual legacy to his children that says, knowing and loving Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything else in the world, even more than loving you. That is a legacy that James Patton, a stocking manufacturer in a small way, gave to his son, John Gibson Patton, in 19th century Scotland. And God used that legacy to make John G. Patton a great missionary of Jesus Christ. The younger Patton left his homeland in, 19, in 1858 to become a missionary to the new Hybrides Islands, Hebrides Islands, what is now Vanuatu. Cannibals lived on those islands, and two previous missionaries had been eaten by them. When John announced to his church his intentions of taking the gospel, one of the elders, Mr. Dickinson, responded to him, The cannibals! You'll be eaten by cannibals! To this, Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in your years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Three months of arriving on the island of Tana, his wife delivered their firstborn child. Within two more months, both mother and son were dead. Speaking of his wife, he wrote this, I felt her loss beyond all conception or description. In that dark land, it was very difficult to be resigned, left alone, and in sorrowful circumstances. But feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving to err in anything that he does or permits, I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. After four years, he was run off the island by cannibals. He later returned to another island called Taniwa. And despite hardships, threats to life, and untold miseries after 15 years, Patton saw the entire island of Anawa turn to Christ. Years later, he wrote, I claimed Anawa for Jesus, and by the grace of God, Anawa now worships at the Savior's feet. Where did John Patton come from? How did God mold this kind of tender tenacity that would risk all for the sake of getting the gospel to the cannibals of the new Hebrides? Patton himself reveals the roots of his useful life when he writes about the lasting influence of his father. His dad loved the church and determined to use every Lord's Day for the greatest spiritual benefit of his family. Their local church did not teach sound doctrine, so they walked four miles to an Orthodox church every Sunday. In 40 years, his father only missed worship three times, once for a snowstorm, once for an ice storm, and once because of an outbreak of, of chlor chloria? Cholera, I knew that. Every morning and evening, his father would lead the family in worship at home. His dad had a small closet where he would go to pray, usually after every meal. John Patton never got over the impact of his father's prayers. Years later, he wrote this, Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable cat, can't pronounce it. Thank you. Catastrophe. Catastrophe. Colonoscopy. Catastrophe. To be swept out of memory. 
were blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in the sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with a victorious appeal. He walked with God. Why may not I? How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. And I would bet you that the father's prayers had nothing to do with the son listening. It was just an added benefit. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world in the service of Jesus and for every personal and domestic need. We all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. As we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light on my father's face, and I wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to his prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. A couple more paragraphs. When John came to the point of deciding whether to leave a thriving ministry in Glasgow or go to the new hybrids, the final assurance came from his parents. They said this, When you were given to us, your father and mother laid you upon the altar, their firstborn, to be consecrated, if God saw fit, as a missionary of the cross. And it has been our constant prayer that you might be prepared, qualified, and led to this very decision. And we pray with all of our heart that the Lord may accept your offering, long spare you, and give you many souls from the heathen world for your hire. And when the time came for John to leave home and go to Glasgow to attend Divinity School and become a city missionary, in his early 20s he had to make a 40-mile walk to the train station. Forty years later, this is what he wrote about that day. really is 35 minutes. My dear father, my dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way, dropping him off at college. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on the parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to that scene. For that last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long flowing yellow hair streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately he said, God bless you, my son. Your Father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Last paragraph. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with his head uncovered where I'd left him gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the inside of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return. His head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched, 
I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze. And then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. You see, James Patton employed no special parenting techniques that we know of. There's no record of any secret of successful parenting that he left behind. Rather, he walked with God through sincere faith in Jesus Christ in genuine repentance of sin. And he lived this way openly before his family. He was a real Christian, and he acted like it. In and through everything else that we teach about raising children, may we never overlook the preeminent responsibility to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Such a legacy is more valuable than any material or any financial inheritance a child could ever receive. Amen. Can I pray for us? Yeah. Father, I am grateful for this weekend. And God, as I read that story, um, Lord, I'm both um, reminded of uh, constant, uh, often uh, failures as a dad. And God, I just am grateful that you and your providence decided to uh, draw Nancy and I to yourself so that we would have a genuine um, repentance of sin and a genuine love for you, even though it was imperfect. And I'm grateful, God, that, that our kids uh, in an imperfect way um, saw us in our imperfections worshiping a perfect God. And God, I think, <laughs> I think about these families with younger kids, and uh, they are raising them to shoot them out. They're raising them to, um, to send them out to be uh, disciple makers, as we're all called to be. And Lord, it is not easy. Remember many tears sending my kids out. And Lord, I just pray that as we leave here today, uh, God, that we would be mindful of your kindness in our lives, of your grace and mercy and enduring love for us, your steadfast love. And God, I pray that the truth that we are your children, that we've been adopted into your forever family, that you will never disinherit us. You will never be disappointed in us. Sure, you will discipline us, but it's all out of love. And God, I pray that that would inform our love and our discipline and our raising up our kids. So God, what a privilege it is to have all these young families here. And God, thank you for the, um, the daunting responsibility that you've given us as pastors just to um, remind these young couples of your goodness and your kindness and that by your strength and your power and your grace, they can do it. They can do it. They can raise kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And the results are up to you. And God, so we pray that you would save every one of the kids in these families. God, not that they would just be uh, college-educated and, and have a house and maybe a second home and be able to go on vacations and be healthy. That's all good, God, if you decide to do that. But I pray that there would be kids in these families, every one of them, that would grow to be worshipers of the God Most High. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen. Pat, any last words at all before we head out? Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, just, just one quickie. You can't imagine the work that Pat and Jolene put into this. Uh, and I include Jolene in that. They are a, uh, they're joined at the hip. So just when you get a chance, uh, 
personally thank them for it. And Bonnie Cooper, wherever she's at, she did an amazing job of, of, of uh, organizing this. And Diane Shank, she's been running around here. She's part of our church family, and she's been serving food and cleaning up and all that. So just take a minute to thank them all.